Curiosity Lab was inspired my interest to work in the domain of education. So I thought working on the concept of curiosity or using that as a tool might help to change the educational framework. It comes from my interest in the domain of education and I believe if you need to bring in large scale social changes. So for example, some of the large scale social challenges that we have uh, at this point in time in India is like caste discrimination. It's a very persistent social challenge that exists. The, another one would be like, say, for example, how do you handle the waste disposal? Traffic is a large scale social challenge that I see. Economic disparity. Thanks for joining us today. This is Choose to be Curious, a show all about curiosity. We talk about research and theory, but mostly it's conversations about how curiosity shows up in work and life. I'm your host, Lynn Borton. Welcome. Come, choose to be curious with us. Have you ever had the experience of coming upon something that feels like an embodiment of the core of your very being that just happens to be like on the other side of the planet? That's maybe one way to describe how I felt when I learned of the Curiosity Lab at IIT Gandhinagar in Western India. IIT stands for Indian Institutes of Technology, a prestigious network of public technical institutes located all across India. IIT Gandhinagar is home of the Curiosity Lab, which studies factors that generate, sustain, and foster curiosity. It's designed as an interdisciplinary space that promotes research and outreach activities specifically around curiosity. They offer curiosity camps, they're piloting curiosity clubs, and generally make it their business to encourage curiosity at every turn. Sounds like my kind of place, right? The Curiosity Lab is made possible in large part by the generosity of Kushal Sachetti, a serial entrepreneur, business advisor, philanthropist, and founder and president of the Center for Curiosity. Alert listeners might remember Kushal as the motivating force behind Perry Zern and Arjun Shankar's publication of the wonderful book Curiosity Studies, a new ecology of knowledge that came out back in 2020. I'm delighted to be joined today by Jason Manjali, the Curiosity Lab's principal investigator. Jason is a professor of philosophy and cognitive science at IIT Gandhinagar. His research interests include curiosity, education, and exclusion. This show marks the start of the eighth year of Choose to be Curious and hosting these curiosity conversations, conversations that have taken me around the globe and deep into my own being. I can't imagine a more appropriate way to mark the occasion than with a fellow enthusiast who happens to live on the other side of the planet. You know, I talk to so many people, I get many, many different definitions of curiosity. What's your definition of curiosity? I think it's not about difficulty in defining curiosity, but I personally would say that it is a kind of a disposition that you hold. You are trying to satisfy an urge to know about stuff, right? It's it's also being defined in literature. You are trying to bridge an information gap that you have, you know, and 
I I have been able to relate to that idea that you have a, a desire to know something and you have an information gap and then you try to bridge that information gap by seeking that information. Now, it can be a disposition that people can have. It can also be a, a habit that evolve over a period of time. So it is not a very fundamental cognitive fact, like say, for example, attention or perception. This is more of a very layered uh, a disposition uh, where you will need to have multiple cognitive abilities to actually come together to actually have that disposition. Therefore, you will have multiple definitions because of the very nature of that concept. You know, and the same thing uh, that I have found the similar challenge with the concept of consciousness. Uh, I have been working on consciousness for some time. When I went to this uh, Science of Consciousness conference in Stockholm, the person who was on the stage, when they called the speaker to the stage, she would ask them to start with their definition of consciousness. And I was so amazed to see that there was no one definition shared by anybody. Everybody, you know. Everybody had their own definitions. And I, you know, because the reason why they have too many definition is because it is a very multi-layered concept. Yeah. If you ask what is the definition of light, I can say it's a electromagnetic wave. There's absolutely no confusion on that front because there is a consensus on it. But if you ask what is curiosity, uh, I'm saying you can have a definition, you can have multiples of definition. But what I personally uh, relate myself with the idea of uh, bridging the information gap that you have about stuff. You've sort of summarized my 190 plus interviews where there is no consensus about the definition of curiosity, right? And it is. It's all of these layers and colors and different depths and textures. And I'm realizing as you were talking that the multiple areas of research that you've been undertaking through the Curiosity Lab make even more sense to me, having heard you. You've got areas of specific kind of ongoing research. You've done some specific things. Is there a common through line to these areas of research? Yeah. So some of these, the inspiration for all those research has been my personal experiences. Mm -hmm. And of course, once you look at certain experiences, then you try to look at are there certain studies that have already been done uh, then you kind of try to consolidate that and try to see whether there is something that is missing right. uh, to give you an idea so the one of the things that we are currently doing is the relationship between mindfulness and curiosity ideally i wanted to call it as a relationship between meditation and curiosity but then we had a challenge in operationalizing that concept of meditation so we thought the closest thing would be to use mindfulness because that we have better control with respect to the definition with respect to operationalizing that in a lab setup okay the reason this happened because uh, of a debate that happened within the research group so i i i am part of the cognitive science program at iit gandhinagar so we have a lot of debates on various topics certain things that you know as humans what are we how we evolved as an organism what uh, what is our basic you know disposition in the overall scheme of things 
there's a lot of literature on we are inactive organisms so we we just don't sit uh, you know <laughs> idle so it's so that is not a natural disposition of organisms they actually enact within uh, this one day move think of human sitting and meditating all the time we would not have been sitting here today you know with this technologies and things like that so i made a radical statement saying that meditation and mindfulness are very unnatural to humans so that is i'm, I'm making that statement oh that's big okay yeah that's a big statement yeah i know i mean it's a very provocative statement i'm saying it is very unnatural to humans as a organism and then if that is something that you want to practice is something that you want to inculcate within you i personally feel that say think of everybody is meditating assume that is the case as a thought, as a thought experiment i'm saying humans have been in that predisposition through throughout their evolution i am i'm saying that if we have to go through that thought experiment our civilizations would have been never been advanced as it is therefore uh, it is not something that i would recommend for the schools so because now there is this hype you know meditation mindfulness all kinds of things and i think that like no the kids are not supposed to do it kids are supposed to move around they are made to make noise they are made to make fuss they are able they are supposed to make uh, they mess up stuff you know that's how they learn and then if you if you make them meditate to meditate and things like that you are actually constraining them even the very idea of making them sit in the classroom can you imagine a high energy kid kids are supposed to have energy and making them sit in a in a classroom for the entire duration is crazy is is madness uh-huh. <laughs> you know is that what you are doing that you are literally making them to you know what do i say it's like constrain them very seriously okay so now what I, then i said that then but there was counter arguments counter arguments were like say for example meditations or for a mindfulness allows you to have little bit more you know you make you more focused on stuff there is a focus argument there is little bit more you became more serene so that you can actually engage with more concepts you know uh, so there were like arguments counter arguments and then you know so then said okay let us test it out in a in yeah, the lab yeah because you've had all these areas of research right feedback uh, uh, refutation uh, incongruity the yes, mindfulness yes, yes, language yes, acquisition yes. so are yes. you taking a similarly outside the box approach to all of those or is mindfulness something of an outlier yeah yeah so mindfulness is a bit of an outlier i would say so but others are like certain things that was happening say, and then we thought that you know we could actually take this path to enquire about so for example the language acquisition was something that my student was working on language and he he had created an artificial language to test out language acquisition processes oh, that's interesting um, and then we thought okay let's see if, how does the variations in learning or retrieval of the learning varies if you induce curiosity while they go through that learning process you know so we wanted to find out so we are just you know just completing the experimental design 
almost done so we are probably piloting the studies in the next one or two weeks oh that's exciting yeah yeah, yeah. so similarly mindfulness and curiosity is actually right now we are running that experiment uh, so it's going on so the data collection is happening right now so i'm saying these are things so say for example uh, refutation incongruity you know those kind of stuff again was coming from a certain experience say for example i have a 9 year old son so lot of my inspiration comes from my encounters with him interactions with him you know his thinking process why he thinks in this particular direction therefore it also try to translate that into a classroom setup how people how the students would be thinking in general you know uh, so it has been that's how i have been you know moving forward with this uh, curiosity lab You're listening to Choose to be Curious, conversations about curiosity in work and life. I'm your host, Lynn Borton. I'm joined today by Jason Manjali, Principal Investigator at IIT Gandhinagar's Curiosity Lab. You know, most, although certainly not all of my conversations about curiosity have been with people who were based here in the U.S. And I have long wondered if there's really sort of a cultural subcontext to the american experience and exploration of right, curiosity right. and and i'm listening to you and i'm wondering about the cultural context for for your exploration talk talk more about that if you would yeah so i would say that the indian society has been seriously stratified i'm saying strict in a non strict way i'm saying you know so you have a lot of what do i say blurred boundaries and things like that but still there is a very clear idea of an upper caste and a lower caste situation so i don't know i don't are you aware of the caste uh, yeah but give us a give us uh, a short oh, quick right, right, explanation right, right. for so, that context so i'm saying yeah. I, so i'm saying it's a very complex uh, phenomena uh, it will be very inappropriate for me to summarize but so if you look at the history of caste so the the people who are outside the caste system Uh, so there are four castes and then you have people outside the castes so they are called our savarnas and avarnas so avarnas they were not ever been allowed to uh, how do i put it they had very limited access to knowledge uh, what does it mean they were not allowed to go to formal to get formal education uh, their access to education was probably practically nil there was nothing uh, they were actively denied education actively denied the right to ask questions and i call it they were denied to be curious yeah yeah absolutely you understand what i'm saying absolutely so, so there ha huh, so therefore so what i call it epistemic inequality exists within the society uh serious epistemic inequality so you have access to knowledge is very very constrained if you are part of a particular social fabric and if you look at the the school teachers to which caste they belong to they will be always the upper caste you understand statistically significant number of upper caste and then now the caste mentality that now creeps into every domain of your existence say for example in the classroom the students are not 
you know uh, allowed to be curious because you are not supposed to ask questions and if you ask question then you are you are not considered as you know that very respectful so people people avoid question probably people might not have actively told don't ask questions but the framework is in such a way that you are actually literally afraid to ask questions you understand what i'm saying yeah. so yeah. so there is there is an existence of a very dogmatic framework in the educational system now that is a very cultural specific so it is very uh, i'm saying it might exist in other cultural framework in other geographical locations depending on what culture you belong to how you encourage curiosity how you encourage uh, people's desire to ask questions uh, you know ability to access knowledge and information if there are constraints on that friend the the society as a whole uh, you know become aligned to that f- process your institutions gets aligned to that process therefore nobody will say oh no 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 i didn't you know i we are not specifically blocking any questions but nor we are encouraging the questions either right so so i personally feel that that framework still exists it is probably changing it is much better i wish it change much faster pace you know so the work of the lab has been yeah. this this research you also do outreach and is the outreach really embodied through your clubs and camps right right right, right. so the the outreach we started with the camp these camps have been online so if you look at the people who have been participating in these camps they have been very uh, well respected from their own domains oh they look like wonderful I, w- I went back and looked through them. And I'm like, oh man, I would have loved to have gone <laughs> right. to these camps. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no. I wish I, if I had known, I would have, you know, definitely <laughs> uh, would have requested you to get engaged with this. In fact, it would have oh. been nice. So now I want this would have been mostly online. So I want to try to see a hybrid model where we actually have it as you know some people offline and uh, some people online. and then one another idea is to kind of create curiosity clubs in the schools uh, more of a exploratory space people should be able to engage and it's like we are trying to be facilitators so that the students should be able to lead and you know make uh, an impact while they are doing this in the school well it also sounds to me as if you're trying to create a variety of safe spaces right for some muscle to build that is not doesn't get a gym doesn't get a place to work out yes yeah, yeah right 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 i agree i agree. that that's exactly what i am trying to do so i'm saying what the pandemic has helped me in a different way so i can reach out to the students directly without going to the school through the school uh-huh. by the way many of the most of the Uh, participants of these camps are now has become the teachers i was going to ask about this yeah yeah i was going to ask because you invite yeah. students their parents, parents and teachers t- t- yes and yes. so you're getting more teachers than anybody else i would say like at least 40% of them are now teachers interesting i don't have too many parents on the, uh, for the camp but i have some parents uh, mostly students but that's an interesting development i never thought that you know teachers might be that interested and 
so the topics that i pick are not necessarily the topics that they will find in a school you know textbook or uh, something that is normally discussed in the school or classroom or anywhere so these are interesting way of engaging with a certain topic so school teacher they could use those topics to actually generate certain interest in the students you know that has been the primary agenda of you know uh, having teachers also being part of the camp right right so what excites you most you have so many exciting things going on but what excites you most about what you're doing now uh, so i would say i have excitement about everything that i'm doing but i would say i <laughs> that's am, clear I, I, yeah. but i i think i would want to make an impact in the educational system if possible i'm saying i am not saying i'm not claiming that i'm going to change or whatever so I, what i call it micro behavioral intervention at a small scale i am not talking about you know changing the curriculum i am not talking about changing the you know school structures i am not talking about big things i'm saying can i make micro behavioral interventions small small scale interventions and which can actually uh, get reflected in large number of schools or among the students so i'm saying i'm talking about small interventions and if and therefore if i can make small interventions i am likely to succeed in that process and therefore i will be able to make an impact in the education uh, framework you know uh, therefore i i am actually uh, somebody who are excited about outreach i want to kind of see if i can make a difference in the educational system in a in a in a small way uh, therefore i have lot of excitement in that domain uh, and then in order to make in order to make that uh, possible then i need to do my research you know the research is very critical uh, you know without research you cannot uh, do a outreach intervention at all so therefore both are important but i think my primary objective is to kind of think about or try to work out a intervention by microbehavioral interventions that's so resonant for me because when i first began this show and it, and i knew i wanted to have conversations about curiosity i kept kind of going back to well, well, why why right. are you doing this right. and i thought well people people make a lot of choices in their lives right. and given the opportunity i i just wanted them to choose to be curious that's how i came to the title for the show i mean i didn't know that at first but i kept coming back to that refrain and i thought oh huh, i guess that's my title so what you're saying about those small incremental pieces you know they add up here in the US we have a we have an expression about a penny here a penny there pretty soon you're talking about a billion dollars right, right, right? Right, right the same right, right, same right, thing right. yeah right so my version of research is to ask people what kind of curiosity practices they have that they use in their lives that sort of invite curiosity in in ways large or small and i'm wondering what you would consider your curiosity practices your personal curiosity practices um yeah so i could say what helps when i am curious what what kind of things that i i could do when i am curious is that a lot of innovations in the things that i am doing i am able to achieve that when i am curious about stuff uh, 
I am able to interact with people better if I am curious about stuff. I am able to bring in more uh, value to certain processes when I am curious about stuff. I get new ideas when I am curious. So if I look at my personal evolution from an upbringing with the minimal resources to what i am today has been possible because i have been continuously or constantly curious about stuff it is not something that i try to do something that is embedded within me and therefore i am able to think differently because i am i have that disposition and that actually helps me to continuously reimagine stuff relook at stuff think about alternative perspectives I, it helps me as a at, at multiple levels so that's what i could say i'm saying it is it's, it's part of me You've been listening to Choose to be Curious. I'm Lynn Borton, your host for this time together. You can find this and all my previous episodes on my website at choosetobecurious.com. I hope you'll follow me there and on social media at Choose to be Curious. Many thanks to my guest, Jason Manjali. Links to the Curiosity Lab on my website. Thanks too to Kushal Sashetti, who has fostered curiosity, not just in India, but around the world serving as a kind of curiosity honeybee, cross-pollinating, keeping the buzz going, truly a curiosity champion. Our theme music is by Sean Ballack, and this is Glass Beads by The Balloonist via Blue Dot Sessions. And a big shout out to all the Pacifica Radio Network stations that have picked up Choose to be Curious in the last few months. It's truly an honor to be part of so many diverse communities across the country. Thank you for keeping the independent media alive and kicking. And thanks to you, audience, for listening. Community radio is a great curiosity lab of its own, isn't it? As you listen today, what new perspectives pique your curiosity? Where might you have some micro-behavioral intervention of your own? I hope you'll try, and I hope you'll join us again next time. Until then, choose to be curious. From the very childhood, I had this random curiosities. Like, you know, the first thing that I would do uh, when I go to some of my relatives' house is to go to their kitchen and to kind of look at things, what's going on, you know, and then definitely go for what the kind of pickles they have, you know. So I will always look for some old documents people have, you know, skim through it. Any old papers, any old thing actually excites me. Unopened cabinets. I'm saying anything can make me curious, in fact, you know.